The following is a presentation from New Life. For more information, visit newlife-pc.org. Well, uh, April 22nd today, so I guess you could make the claim that we're in late April, and summer is just around the corner, and you know what that means, right? It's time to get in shape. It's time to get fit. It's not uncommon for people at this time of year to think about hitting the gym because they're thinking about hitting the beach. And there's all kinds of programs and all kinds of supplements to help you get in shape. You can watch these infomercials that will peddle the latest program that's guaranteed to work in a matter of days, whether that's P90X or Zumba. Uh, The last couple of years, I've even seen people working out with kettlebells. That was the new fad. It's probably dying by now, but people working out with kettlebells. You can follow this information and find out the, the latest medical discovery to help you burn fat and build muscle. There's all kinds of these things all over the place. And fitness, physical fitness, is a multi-billion dollar industry in this country. But for all of our obsession about being physically fit, we can tend to, and the we includes Christians, we can tend to ignore and neglect our spiritual health and our spiritual fitness, which is actually much more important than our physical fitness. At least that's what the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy. And he writes that in the first epistle to Timothy, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. That's our text for this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to 1 Timothy, chapter 4. And we're going to read just verses 7 and 8 this morning. So please stand for the reading of God's Word. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord abides forever. You can have a seat. Now, the first thing that I would want to point out about this text is that Paul says that physical training or bodily training is of value. There is benefit to it, and it does matter. God cares about our bodies, and we should care about our bodies as well. Physical fitness and physical health is something that Christians ought to tend to. But physical training is less valuable in comparison to spiritual training, to training yourself for godliness. And that means this, that you need to take your spiritual health seriously and that you need to prioritize your spiritual exercise. It means that we need to be more concerned with our fitness for eternity in glory than than we are with being ready to hit the beach or being ready to fit into our summer clothes. We need to train ourselves for godliness. But what does that mean? How do we do that? And what does such kind of training involve? What Paul would seem to have in mind is the practice of what are sometimes referred to as the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life, the spiritual disciplines. There's an author named Donald Whitney has written quite a bit on the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life, and Donald Whitney defines the spiritual disciplines like this. 
He says the spiritual disciplines are the God-ordained means by which we bring ourselves before God, experience Him, and are changed into Christ-likeness. Spiritual disciplines, spiritual exercises. Now notice that Whitney also describes them as God-ordained means. In other words, the spiritual exercises are not something that we have to invent for ourselves. We don't fall into mystical chanting or transcendental meditation. These are the things that God himself directs us to as we seek him and seek to become like him. Now, these are not the only means God uses to sanctify us and make us holy. He uses suffering, affliction, trial, but he doesn't call us to seek those things. He calls us to put into practice these spiritual disciplines. And as Christians, we're all called to train ourselves for godliness. We're all called to spiritual training. So I want to consider this, this topic of spiritual training with three points this morning. First, I want to talk, the, talk about the practice of spiritual training. And then I want to talk about some of the pitfalls of spiritual training. And then I want to conclude with the purpose of spiritual training. But I want to start with the practice of spiritual training. Now, there are a lot of parallels, actually, between physical training and spiritual training. As a matter of fact, the word for training that Paul uses in these verses, both for spiritual training and bodily training, is the same word. And it's the Greek word from which we get the English word gymnasium. So there's a kind of physical working out, but there's also a kind of spiritual working out. And basically, if you want to be physically fit, the most basic prescription that you can adopt is to eat well, exercise, and get adequate rest. That's the way it's always been. That's the way it's always going to be. Eat well, exercise, and get adequate rest. And in order to be spiritually fit, it's actually quite similar. You need to eat well, you need to exercise, and you need also to get adequate rest. But in other words, what we're saying is this. Be nourished by a consistent diet of God's word. Exercise yourself in things like prayer, fasting, sacrificial service within the body of Christ, and get adequate rest by ceasing from your work and worshiping on the Lord's day and resting in the finished work of Christ. I mean, at the most fundamental level, that's what spiritual training consists of. That's the basic training regiment that God has given to us to grow in godliness. Now, that might sound easy enough. But just because it sounds easy doesn't mean it is easy. I mean, I could tell you the path to physical fitness, and it might sound easy, but it isn't easy. Spiritual training isn't easy. It's one of the things we have to understand from the get-go. If you want to have a beach body this summer, if that's one of your goals, I hate to disappoint you this morning, but there is no pill that you can take that will accomplish that for you. If you want to be physically fit, here's what it's going to require. It's going to require hard work. It's going to require self-denial. And it's going to require you to sacrifice fleshly comforts. But I also want to tell you this. If you want to be spiritually fit, if you want to grow in godliness, there's no pill that you can take. There's no magical formula that you can adopt that will allow you to do that without effort. If you want to grow in godliness, it's going to take hard work, it's going to require self-denial, 
and it's going to require the sacrifice of your fleshly comforts. If the number one goal in your life is to be comfortable, you're not going to train well. You're not going to train well physically, and you're not going to train well spiritually. Because you know what? Growth, a lot of times, isn't comfortable. Changing habits is not comfortable. Repenting of sinful patterns and adopting godly patterns isn't going to be comfortable, and it's not going to be easy. Change isn't easy. I want you to do something this morning. Whatever you have in your hands, I want you to put them down, and I want you just to hold your hands in front of you like this. Okay? Just do this. Okay, that's actually not what I'm illustrating. I just wanted to see if I could get you all to do that. Here's what I actually want you to do. I simply want you to clasp your hands together, interlocking your fingers. That's all I want you to do, and squeeze tight. Okay, everybody do that? Okay, now here's what I want you to do. Whatever thumb you have on top, I want you to change your interlocking pattern and put the other thumb on top and squeeze real hard. Now, I'm guessing that the vast majority of you right now are uncomfortable, and you want to go back to the way you first interlocked your fingers. And that simply tells you that change is hard. It doesn't quite feel right. It's not always going to feel natural. And your tendency is to drift back into what's comfortable. That's not the way to grow in godliness. Because we're battling sin. We have to resist our sinful, natural kinds of tendencies. And you know what? That's not going to be comfortable. That's not going to be easy. But by the power of the Spirit, with discipline and commitment, you can change. And you can grow in godliness. But again, it's not going to be easy. And it's not going to be comfortable. It's also not going to be quick. Spiritual training isn't quick. We know that we live in a culture of convenience and we want everything to be quick and easy. But the reality is some things you just can't accomplish quickly. You can't grow a garden overnight. You cannot instill wisdom in a child in a day. You cannot get physically fit overnight and you can't just snap your fingers and all of a sudden, transform into a godly person manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the way God has designed it. He's called us to train ourselves for godliness, to exercise the spiritual disciplines. One of the things that always amazed me when I was a student at Ball State, and then also when I was a faculty member at Ball State, and I utilized their gym, that two weeks before spring break, the gym would get incredibly crowded. And I would always think to myself, these people must think that you can get yourself into shape quickly. But you can't. It takes time to see significant gains when you're spiritually training. It just takes time. And spiritually speaking, it can take months or even years of practicing the spiritual disciplines before you begin to see consistent fruit in your heart and in your life. There is no shortcut to godliness. There isn't a shortcut. We want shortcuts. We want shortcuts with physical training. Can I just take a pill that burns fat? Do I really have to exercise? People are selling this stuff to, to consumers all the time. Doesn't work. But we want that spiritually as well. We, we think the key to our spiritual growth and godliness is really just about going on a retreat every once in a while 
or going to one week of camp or going to a seminar. These things are all good, and we can grow from these things. But that's not the key to spiritual growth and godliness. John Owen, the Puritan, says it right when he says, if you mean to enlarge your religion, or we could say it this way, if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to grow in godliness, do it rather by enlarging your ordinary devotions rather than your extraordinary. In other words, we could say this. What Owen is saying is it's the daily exercises of being in the Word, of praying, of sometimes fasting, of serving others sacrificially, and resting in the gospel of Christ's victory that will prove ultimately to lead to your growth in godliness more than anything else. That's the path. It's not easy. It's not going to be quick. But not only are there no shortcuts, there are also no vacations. It's not easy. It's not quick. And spiritual training isn't temporary. It calls for endurance. We have to continue in it. We have to be consistent in it. The path of Christian sanctification is not a sprint. It's not something you can just get out of the way. It's a marathon. It's a long race. And you have to be endurant. You have to practice endurance and you have to be consistent. If you want to maintain physical fitness, you have to be consistent. And if you want to maintain spiritual health and growth and godliness, you have to be consistent in these things. If you stop doing things, you don't stay where you are. To use a technical term, you atrophy, you shrink, you lose it. And that's true not just physically, that's true spiritually. We are prone to regress if we do nothing. So we have to be consistent with these spiritual exercises of being in the Word, of praying, sometimes fasting, and serving others consistently. But the last thing I would point out is spiritual training is also not simply some kind of an attitude. It's not an attitude. Spiritual training is something that you have to do. You don't just have to think about it rightly, have positive thoughts. It's something that you have to do. It's estimated the, that the amount of Americans that own running shoes but don't run is 87%. Now, I would also like, I'm interested in the statistics of how many people own a treadmill that never gets used, but I'm not sure what that number is. But what that suggests to us is that we do actually value fitness and athleticism, and we, may, we might even want to look athletic by wearing the running shoes. But we don't always want to do anything, actually. And I wonder if we're that way spiritually a lot. That we own Bibles, but we don't really read them, study them, meditate on them, memorize Scripture. We speak highly of the power of prayer, but we don't actually pray faithfully or consistently. We admire sacrificial service, but we don't really serve anyone sacrificially. And we're consistent to show up for worship, but do we really worship from our hearts, in spirit, and in truth. Spiritual training requires something to be done. It's not simply a positive attitude. It has to be done on a regular basis. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be quick. But it's what God has given us so that he can conform us to his son.
But there are also some pitfalls to consider. So I want to deal with that second, the pitfalls of spiritual training. I think one of the most common pitfalls that people fall into is just not having a plan. Listen, do not fall into the trap of just planning to exercise when you feel like it. Okay? That's putting way too much confidence in your flesh. The flesh is weak. Don't just do it when you feel like it. You have to adopt a plan. You have to put structures in place that allow you to to move through a, a program to continue to consistently practice these things. Have a plan for Bible reading for the year. Uh, we've got actually Bible reading plans in the, in the foyer right now. Go pick one up if you don't have one and you're not consistently in the Word right now. Just go pick one up today and don't listen to the voice of the evil one who says, well, I mean, it's April 22nd now and you didn't start on January 1st, so why don't you just not do it now and wait until the, the beginning of next year? Does that make sense to you? The devil doesn't want you in the Word. Don't buy that lie. If you're not consistently in the Word right now, pick up a Bible reading plan, look what it says on April 22nd, and start reading it today. Adopt a plan. Be systematic in your prayers. Uh, get, it, get a journal and write down prayer requests. Write down insights from the Word about where you're convicted in your heart and things you want to pray about for yourself. And, 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 and be systematic about those things. Make sure you have a time of the day where you can pray. And, and pray spontaneously through the day, but have a time where you're devoted to that, where you've prioritized that. And if you're like me, you can feel really, really overwhelmed by how many things there are to pray for. And don't trust your memory. Write it down. But let me suggest this as well. Another thing that you can do is pray for specific things on specific days rather than just see it as one big hole. Because that, that's going to be overwhelming. For instance, on Sundays, pray for your local church. Pray for your pastors, pray for your elders, your deacons, your leaders, and its ministries. On Monday, pray for your family. On Tuesday, pray for your friends. On Wednesday, pray for things related to your work or, or things related to your classes. On Thursday, pray for yourself. Pray for, for your own goals. Pray, pray repentance and confession and ask that the Lord would continue to work in your heart and things that you're convicted about. On Friday, pray for evangelism. Pray for God's work through the world. Pray for missionaries. Pray for people you want to evangelize. And on Saturday, pray for worship, the worship service the next day. It's just a suggestion. You don't have to adopt that. But that's one route to go in being deliberate and adopting a plan to be consistent and faithful in prayer. You can... Pray through the Psalms. There's 150 of them. Just, when you get done with 150, go back to number one. And just it's a wonderful way for God to train you in praying and give you language in prayer that He's inspired by His Spirit in the Word. Or you can get another collection of prayers. I know people that have read through a collection of Puritan prayers uh, just to discipline themselves in their prayer life. Uh, you could read through the six petitions of the Lord's Prayer and emphasize one of those petitions each day. And adopt something different on Sunday. Whatever it is, have a plan. Be deliberate about it. And be deliberate to commit to at least one area of service consistently. To serve others in the body of Christ and in the community in one way as a discipline consistently and regularly. 
Be, be systematic. Have a plan. Care enough about your growth and growth and godliness to adopt structure and to schedule for it. That's not unspiritual. It's, it's a lie of the evil one that says, well, you don't need a structure. Just do it when you feel like it. Don't trust your heart to do that. Okay, have a plan. Second thing, another pitfall to avoid, is the imbalance between private exercise and corporate exercise. We need both. Here's what I mean by that. There are some people who are very inclined to participate in kinds of group ministries and group activities. If there's something going on at church, they're there. They're working. They're they're part of what's going on. They're, They're involved in group Bible studies. They're consistent in worship. But their private devotions of Bible reading and prayer is almost completely lacking. They struggle with that area. On the other side of that, you have people who do really well with their private exercises. They're reading their Bible, their prayer lives are strong, but they neglect the communion of the saints. They're never involved with other people. They're not involved in feeding other people, and their spiritual life becomes very much self-focused and isolated. That's not spiritually healthy either. Neither one of those instances are spiritually healthy. We need both private and corporate exercises for growth in godliness. So you have to ask yourself, are you one of those people that lean in one of these directions and tend to neglect the other? I mean, if so, you might be a person who needs to pick up a Bible reading plan before you leave this morning. Or you need to buy a prayer journal sometime this week and get serious about doing that. Or you might be a person who doesn't need to do that, but you need to commit to serving alongside others in a specific ministry. Whether that be a WAN or a Kids Hope, I know those things are are coming to a close here at the academic year, or Elmcroft or Muncie Mission, or something to, to connect to some kind of ministry and do that consistently. But we need to avoid falling into the extreme of one or the other private or corporate exercises. We need both to grow in godliness. The third pitfall I want to mention is motivation. What do you do when your motivation for spiritual training is low and when you simply feel discouraged? Well, there's no easy remedy for this. Let me just mention a few things. First, you have to remember that you are engaged in a battle. You're engaged in spiritual warfare. And a lot of that, a lot of the spiritual enemy resides in your own heart. Okay, so you've got to remember that. And you just have to realize that you're called to be a loyal soldier following the orders of your king and commander, whether you feel like it or not. Okay, and I know that's not going to be easy. I said it wasn't going to be easy. But that's the truth of it. You simply have to press on even when you don't feel like it. But there are some things that you can do to help you press on. Think about this. Partner up. Find someone that can encourage you and can hold you accountable to staying in the Word, staying in prayer, fast together, have someone you can read with, have someone that you can confess to. Because if you're part of a a rigorous physical training program, having a partner can have huge benefits. The same is true spiritually. To have somebody walk alongside you can make a big difference in simply pressing on and staying the course. But in addition to pressing on and partnering up, you can ponder your patterns. Okay, and what I mean by that is, have you been indulging in the pleasures of sin or simply indulging too much in the things of the world? 
Because just like indulging in a lot of fatty foods and a lot of sugar can make you physically lethargic, falling in cons- into consistent patterns of sin or things of the world will dull your appetite for spiritual things. It just will. Notice when, in the verses that we, we read in verse 7, Paul tells Timothy he has to avoid certain things. He has to stay away from controversies and silly myths. Part of our training requires abstaining from certain things. And so, if your motivation is low this morning, you might need to repent of sin in your life that you're not dealing with. It might be lust. You might need to deal with the sin of pride or envy or anger or bitterness and that's ruining your appetite for spiritual things. But it might not be explicit kinds of sins that you're dealing with. It might just be that you're spending too much time watching TV. And that's dulling your appetite. You're watching too many movies. You're playing too many video games. Stop it. And get your priorities back to practicing the disciplines. Because those things will dull your appetite. doesn't mean you have to cut out the non-sinful things altogether. But you can't indulge in them. And they can't take away from the priority of your pursuit of holiness and godliness. But perhaps even more important than low motivation is having the wrong motivation. Some of you up to this point might be thinking, I've kind of got all this down. I mean, I'm in the Word consistently. I pray. I fast sometimes. I serve other people. I'm involved in a ministry. I've got it. But... You can practice the spiritual disciplines consistently and not be growing in godliness. You want an example? I'll give you a whole group of them. Pharisees. You know that Jesus tells us in the Gospels that the Pharisees searched the Scriptures diligently. They were committed to the Word as it was written in the Old Testament. They prayed regularly. They fasted regularly, probably more than anybody in this room. They, they prayed and fasted. And they were meticulous in their tithing. I mean, they, they took this stuff seriously. But their motive was wrong. The outside practice was not matched by the inward heart of the thing. That, that was the whole matter. They got the motive wrong because they were practicing the spiritual disciplines to be noticed, to be praised, to be honored. They were also practicing the disciplines because they believed that through them they could merit their standing before God by their own righteousness. Well, how do we avoid that, though? I mean, if we're spiritual training, how do we avoid falling into the pitfall of a works righteousness mindset? What is the right motive? Well, the right motive is really answered when we understand the purpose of spiritual training. So I want to conclude with this. One of the ways we avoid uh, the wrong motive and falling into training in order to merit our right standing before God is to see the disciplines not as the marks of godliness in themselves, but as the means to godliness. If we see the disciplines as the marks themselves of godliness, we fall into the error of the Pharisees. The disciplines of Bible reading, of praying, of fasting, of serving, of resting, these in themselves are not 
the marks of godliness. Or we could say it this way. They're not the fruit of godliness. They're the means by which we cultivate that fruit. The fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How do we cultivate that fruit? By being in the word, by being diligent in prayer, by fasting, by serving, by resting in the gospel truth, by believing in that. Okay, the, once, we, once we see the disciplines as the marks, then we begin to practice them as ends in themselves. But that's to abuse them, that's to misunderstand them. They are means to a higher goal or a higher purpose. And what is that purpose? Well, that's precisely what Paul tells us here. Train yourself for godliness. Godliness is the goal. The transformation of the heart is the goal. In other words, you could say it like this. The goal is to be conformed to Jesus. The example of godliness. The whole purpose is really this. It's to draw close to Christ. That's what we're doing in the disciplines. We're drawing close to Christ, and in drawing close to Him, we become like Him. We become holy like He is. See, that's what the Pharisees got wrong. They didn't practice any of these things to draw near to Jesus. They rejected Jesus and preferred their own righteousness instead. But the disciplines are practiced because we know our only hope of righteousness and holiness and godliness is in Jesus. And so these disciplines move us toward him. And in moving toward him, we conform to be like him in holiness and godliness and righteousness. That's what the purpose has to be about. It has to be about drawing to Jesus and becoming like him. And so the question that confronts you this morning is, do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to love like he loved? Do you want to show compassion like he showed compassion? Do you want to exercise patience the way he exercised patience? Do you want to be courageous in the way he gave himself away? Do you want to be like that? Do you want to grow in godliness? Do you want your life to bring glory to God as it reflects his character through your obedience? These are not rhetorical questions, by the way. You really have to think about this. Do you want to be like Jesus? Because if you don't, you're not going to train yourself for godliness. You're not going to prioritize that. And if you don't want to be like Jesus this morning, you have to examine yourself and you have to repent and put your faith and your trust in him and love him above all else because he is worthy of that love because he showed that love to sinners so that you can have eternal life in him in glory so turn from your sin embrace Jesus and pursue holiness in him but if you do want to be like Jesus and you do want to grow in godliness then you have to train yourself you have to train yourself you have to exercise yourself to godliness you can't grow in godliness by doing nothing. So are you engaged in spiritual training? Are you doing that? Are you in your word? Are you praying? Are you fasting? Are you serving? Are you resting in the gospel? That's the, that's the prescription. That's what God is calling us to. And don't, 
excuse yourself by telling yourself that you're too busy. Because this, ma- this is not an issue of time. It's an issue of priority. Because here's what I've learned. The older I get, the more I'm confirmed that this is reality. People will do what they really want to do. People will find the time to do what's really important to them. So how important is training in godliness to you? The Puritan John Flavel wrote, The duty be ours, though the power be God's. The duty is ours, but the power is God's. The one who sanctifies us and makes us holy is God. He is mighty to save. But the means by which he does that is empowering us by the Spirit to train ourselves for godliness. Let's renew our commitment to that today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Christ Jesus. We thank you for the holiness, the righteousness, and the godliness that we have in him. We thank you for your spirit that draws us toward him to make us like him. Help us to be committed to spiritual training by the power of your spirit. Help us to love you more every day so that we might pursue holiness and that we can fit ourselves to live lives in glory even as we are fit to live in a way that glorifies you now. In Jesus' name, amen.